Good morning again, Mercy Road. My name is Pastor Darren. Great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, it's a packed house. So good to end the decade together like this. But let's welcome everybody that's joining us uh, on the internet this morning on the online campus. Love that we have the ability to have that kind of technology. And uh, it's going to be a good day. As I said a minute ago, it is my birthday. And I'm, I am, uh, I'm 42 years old today. And that is freaking ancient, all right? Let's be honest about it. I was just stretching backstage because I've got something in my back is going on. I was just getting to, anyway, is today's my birthday and it's almost the end of the year and it's almost the end of a decade, right? We got a lot of stuff converging on this weekend. We got the Aaron Pelsu band back, you kidding me, right? Yes. I'm back there getting emotional thinking about like the past decade, how much of my life I've been doing with APB and so good, right? And if there's a, a, a Sunday when we need just like the ultimate inspirational pep talk, it's this one. I mean, I'm older, the year's almost over, the decade's almost over. We just need an amazing inspirational pep talk. And here's the deal. The good news for you is I'm really good at inspirational pep talks, all right? If you want to see me really in my element, you need to come out and watch me coach 9U Travel Baseball, all right? Because you want to talk about the best 30-second in-between-inning pep talk guy, it's this guy right here, all right? I get down right in the kid's face and let him know, you know, like, listen, it's okay, but if you make that mistake again, I'm going to have your parents give you to another family, you know what I mean? I mean, it's whatever needs to be said to let a nine-year-old understand the seriousness of the game. But, no, I love, I love pep talks, I love that. And so I thought this morning, if there's, if there's a, a, a passage of Scripture that is like just pep talk material. It is the story of the 10 plagues of Egypt. I mean, does that not say inspiration, right? Plagues of frogs and flies and locusts and boils and, and livestock dying. I mean, it, it's a warm fuzzy if there ever was one. Am I right? No, it's terrible. Uh, but it is what we're gonna talk about today because in 42 years of life, here's what I'm beginning to discover. Is pep talks don't change your life. Bummer. Because wouldn't it be cool if they did? You say, you know, oh, well, no, Darren, I, I've heard you speak a couple times, and, and, and it was inspiring, it was good, and it helped, it helped change my life. Oh, I'll, I'll give it to you. When someone speaks in an inspirational way, and you say, that's mixed with the Holy Spirit of God and the, and the truth of his scriptures, God can do some things within your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's an inspirational spark. There's an awakening that happens. But the true transformation, the true life change, didn't happen in the inspiration. It happened in the process you took to learn and to follow the promises of God after the inspiration. But I do wish that inspirational speeches were enough. But they're not. And what we're going to unpack this morning is the, the somewhat unexpected but genius way in which God systematically led the people of Israel to be prepared to experience the promised land. Because the, the sermon I wanted to preach today was about entering the promised land of the next decade, right? But here's what I began to realize, it, because I was reflecting on my own life, is that, that sometimes we, we, we can't make it to the promised land of our life because there's some stuff that we still need to leave behind. Or there's some stuff that we're trying to take with us into the promised land that God's saying, listen, we can't have that here or else this won't become the promised land 
This will become the same broken, captive land you had before. Because in 42 years of life, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Let me just be a little bit vulnerable. If I could talk to like 22-year-old me and say like, hey, what do you think about 42-year-old version of you? I think 22-year-old would have said that 42-year-old Darren would have gotten it a little bit more figured out. Like, have you ever had one of those moments where you get a little older and you realize, I'm doing some of the same junk I've been doing for 20 years. Like, I was hoping I'd be, like, cured by now. Anybody wish they were just cured? And I don't mean of, like, if you have a disease or something, I praise God, let's pray for you to be cured of that sickness. But I'm talking about, like, the stuff you keep doing that keeps damaging your potential and making messes in your relationships. Don't, did you think you were going to be better at life by now? I did. Here's the good news, though. All of us are in this process. Here's what I am learning in a little over four decades. I'm learning this amazing, basic idea that I learned when I was, I think, four. And it's this. Jesus loves me. He loves me in my uncured, in process, still making messes of my life self. Not only am I learning that, I'm also learning. I'm learning to see him in a completely new and loving and trusting way, which is allowing me to step by step slowly actually be transformed by the renewing of my mind. But it's happening a lot slower than I would like, and it's actually a lot more difficult than I once believed. But it's worth it. So what I wanted you to know this morning is the good news. At the end of the sermon, I'm going I'm I'm to spoiler alert. The same God that we're about to talk about that actually prepared the Israelites for the promised land. He's the same God that actually wants to prepare you to set you free for the promises that he's prepared for you. Jesus, we uh, thank you so much for, um, for your presence, for a chance to be in the room with you today. Thank you. And we just take a minute, Holy Spirit, and breathe. You are the one true living God. And your Holy Spirit is in this room and able to speak, encourage and heal, and instruct us. So thank you for that. And we ask you to just do what you've said you would do and be who you have said that you are today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So...
I said I wasn't going to give you an inspirational speech, but it starts right off with the most epic inspirational speech that I think maybe God gave in the entire Old Testament. It's Exodus chapter 6. You can go there on your Bible if you've got one in the seat back or it's going to pop up on the screen. But just to really set the, the, the tone, I feel like we need to make it a little bit more epic than it probably was. So I told Maddie, I need you to dial up some like epic, like inspirational speech music. Now, there wasn't any of this in the story, but how sick would it have been if there had been like some speakers that popped up? You know what I mean? It didn't. But Here's how it would have sounded had it happened. Oh, is anybody getting goosebumps right now? Woo-hoo-hoo! Let's go. All right. Now Moses, in Exodus 6, is talking to God. And the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham. And Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. This is brand new, whole new understanding of God. He's breaking out, right? This is such a good speech, okay? I also established my covenant with them. I gave them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. But moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptian. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. Woo, are you stoked? Are you pumped up? Come on, let's give it up. Let's give it up. That's me. Woo. That's the Bible. You thought it was boring. You just need to get some theme music going on your devotional time. Woo. I'm winded and sweaty just by getting inspired. Now, the way this story's supposed to go is that God gave that speech to the Israelites. And the next sentence should be, and they all jumped up and were like, we can do it, and like ran off to God, and it was like, da 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 Then you get to verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. I mean, did you hear what, what God just said? Basically, God just said, listen, I am the real deal living God. And like, remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Yeah, I've been with you guys forever. And you can trust me and I'm going to take care of this. And I'm powerful enough. I'll do what I've said. See, I'm still doing what I've said I was going to do. I am who I said I am. You can trust me. I'm going to make this thing happen. We have a covenant. Let's go. And they said, nah, no. Which was disobedience, right? Sin. And it's the same thing that we do every single week when we come to church. Somebody gets up and, and talks and, and, and shares God's word, and you get inspired. You might even cry a little bit. And then you leave, and in, in about 60 to 90 minutes, you forget half of what was said. 
And then God says, hey, we're, we're going to do the thing that we, we said we're going to do, right? And you go, no. No. no we're going to stop doing the thing we're going to stop doing, right? No. See, see, we're in the story, too. It's just the context is a little different. And I love God's response. And we need to pay very, very close attention because this is very informative to how God still transforms our lives and sets us free. Because he has this an amazing, epic speech calling back over generations upon generations of his faithfulness. And they say, no, sorry, discouraged, can't hear you. And God says, then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh the king to let the Israelites go out of this country. Notice what God didn't say. Are you kidding me? Morons. Can you, can you not listen? How slow are you to learn? You're so stupid. Same mistakes. How long have you been in captivity? Is, you want another hundred years for your disobedience? You stupid Israelite, slow to listen, slow to have faith, bums. I can't wait to smite you. You're a mistake. Losers. No wonder you're one of the smallest tribes. Why do I even bother? He didn't say that. But I guarantee you that at some point in the last year when you screwed up and made a mess of your life, you talked to yourself like that. And the scary part is you might even told yourself it was God. Let me let you know something. God is not mad at you. B, your messes and mistakes don't scare God. You know that emotion when someone close to you makes a mess of their life and you begin to feel anxious like, oh, I'm really scared of what they're doing right now. God never has that emotion about you. Your sin and, and your messes, they don't scare him and he's not mad at you. If we learned anything last week at Christmas, it's that God's not mad at you. Because if God was mad at you, would he have showed up as a baby? I don't think so. If I run the whole universe and I'm really upset about these people that keep screwing stuff up and I have all the power and authority over the entire universe, I don't think I show up as a baby to communicate my anger. How about you? So God's not mad at you. But if you view him through a paradigm, the word paradigm means the lens in which you see the world. And we have, I think, two uh, very powerful paradigms that, that operate. Most of us, I believe, have what we'll call, and what Danny Silk in his new book, Unpunishable, which will change your life, I suggest it for New Year's reading, says is a punishment paradigm. Meaning you see God as eager and desiring to punish you for your mistakes. If you operate in life with a punishment paradigm about God, your father, I promise you this. You will not trust him to guide you into the promised land of your life. Why would you follow someone bent on punishing you to new places that require faith and courage? I wouldn't. But in this story, I think what God is trying to uncover, in fact, I think the entire Old Testament was basically God trying to break the people out of this punishment paradigm and saying to them, now listen, listen, 
I need you to see me through a promise paradigm. That if you will listen to, obey, and follow my promises for you, I will lead you into the promised land. And so I want you to just take some time, maybe in the next 24 to 48 hours, the time we have left in this year, and look back and say, what is the predominant paradigm in which I lived the past year or decade? Was it a punishment paradigm or a promise paradigm with my father, God? You probably will find in that journey that there are some other people on the face of God. They're probably your parents or some close friends, an ex-husband or wife. There are people in your life that have treated you outside of the context of love and the way God does. And what we do is we take that pain and we place it on the face of God and we find it very, very difficult to trust him. Let me tell you what's really uh, uncomfortable and not great, and you'll probably just try not to do it and sign up for another inspirational talk. Go actually to those pain points and allow God to heal you in the process. But I want to invite you in the next decade, that if you'll see him through a paradigm of promise, you'll learn to trust his heart and he'll set you free. People are discouraged. It means to deprive of courage. Courage is about heart. People were so beaten down and discouraged, they didn't have the heart to believe. And my prayer for you this morning is that if you're here and you're discouraged, that the truth of this God that we speak of would inspire your heart, that it would begin to fill it with a little bit more courage, that you would be able to trust him as someone who loves you and wants to guide you into a promise that he has for you in the next year, in the next decade, for the rest of your life. God's not mad at you. But he's got to prepare you for the promise. He's got to prepare you for the promise. And so what God began doing through these plagues was he began to systematically set up every false god the Israelites had encountered in Egypt and make a public spectacle of how he was more powerful than they were. Now, Sometimes as you read through Exodus, and we're going to get, it's, it's basically we started in 6, it's chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11. If you see God through a punishment paradigm, you see a really, really angry, wrathful God just whooping tail on the, on the, on the Egyptians. And some people could teach it that way. It'd be very easy to read it. God got super mad at Pharaoh. So he was like, here we go. Get ready for this. Here comes the plague of blood. You little jerk. Here's the next one. How about a bunch of frogs all over the palace? Oh, I'm so mad. Take that. Here's the frogs, right? I'm still mad. So here comes the plague of gnats. Then you're going to get flies. Then your livestock's going to die. Ha, 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 right? How about some boils? Hail, locusts, darkness. Get to the end of chapter 10, you're like, man, don't make this God mad. God, I, I know you saw what I did in Broad Ripple last weekend. Uh, I don't want the boils or the fries. Frogs freak me out, Lord. But see, this isn't God angry, delving out punishment 
what God is doing is he realized that if the Israelites were going to be able to walk into the promised land and understand what it means to be free children of God, they had to leave behind the thinking that had brought them into captivity to begin with. They couldn't go into the promised land thinking like slaves and orphans. They couldn't go into the promised land relying on these other gods that had seeped into their understanding of what they needed, of who could protect, of who could provide, of who could be trusted. Because you see, every one of these plagues was connected to a god in Egypt that they had begun to believe that, oh, maybe we got to really pray to the sun god and we got to really appease the god of the livestock and of the river and of all these things were false gods that were actually holding them captive. And so what God is doing, not in a paradigm of punishment, but in a paradigm of promise saying, I need you to see, and not just you, but Egypt and everyone else that will see this and will hear this story for generations to come, is that I am the true God, and I have a covenant with you, and I will protect you, and I will provide for you, and I will lead you into freedom. Do not trust these other things because they will lead you to greater pain and greater captivity and greater slavery and greater discouragement. You say, well, that's tough stuff, Darren. I'm really glad that in America we are the land of the free, home of the brave. Praise God. Don't have a pharaoh telling us what to do. We're not enslaved for hundreds of years like the Israels. I can't even get my mind around living like a slave and an orphan and being separated like that. That's tough stuff for them. Good thing we don't have that today in our culture. And you're right, there isn't a pharaoh who is a king, and we, we are free. This is a democracy we, we live in. But if we look at our culture, first, if we look at the Bible, we realize that we don't have someone named Pharaoh, but the Bible tells us that we do have an enemy of our souls and of our life. His name is Lucifer, the devil. The Bible teaches us that he is not neutral on us at all, but is actually hell-bent on lying and stealing and destroying your potential and everything good that God has purchased to come into your life. And that he is very crafty and deceptive about how he hides himself behind culture. But you can find him when you find lies and when you find fear and when you find captivity. So when we look at our culture, we don't have a pharaoh, but I was just looking and thinking about what about like depression and anxiety rates in our culture right now? Are they going up or do we see more people moving out of depression and anxiety and into freedom? What about debt? What about our master card, right? Are we free or are we enslaved to debt because we're enslaved to greed, which are enslaved to stuff? See, we don't have like stuff in our culture where we like bow down and say, oh, great God of them all, right? We don't do that. So we assume, well, we are so much progressed past like bowing down to idols like wood and straw and like stone. But if these idols enslaved, we just have to look of what's enslaving us. So we've got debt. What about drug addiction? How are we doing with opioids in our uh, culture right now? Tens, thousands, and thousands of people dying all over our city, state, country. We're enslaved to drugs because we're enslaved to pleasure, avoidance. What about alcohol addiction? 90% of us drink, just so you know, statistically, adults over the age of 21, 90% of us. 
And in my 42 years of life, what I'm realizing is that I think many of us are, are, are somewhere in the middle trying to figure out who's actually in control, us or alcohol. And what is it bringing to our life? Um, how about food? How are we doing with food? Are we enslaved to food? By 2023, if things don't change, they, they said there's going to be a 42% increase in chronic illness, adding about $4.2 trillion to the treatment costs in our culture. Things that are leading to morbidity and mortality brought about primarily by individual choices, actions, or behaviors. A study came out this past month that by 2030, in the next decade, if we don't change the way we care for our bodies that God has entrusted to us, that over half of us will be obese. Are we free? What about social media? Are we free? I think I have a injury in the tendon of my bicep right here. It hurts all the time. Can't stretch it out. Noticing that it could be brought on by hours upon hours of this posture. Anybody? If I get tendonitis in my, L in my thumb, I'll know we have discovered an issue. John Bellion said, the world became dangerous the day we all became famous on social media. We've got all these things that I think are taking away our freedom. And they're not called Pharaoh, and, 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 and we're not in Egypt, but I'm going to say that I think God has more for us as his children in the promises of his future than what I've just read. And I know you feel it in your soul this morning, too, and you would agree. The struggle, though, is, is if you're regular at church or whatever, you may be like, yeah, but I come every week and get the inspirational talk. Get all pumped up. But man, I'm 42 years old and see some of the same patterns. Here's the good news. The good news is the same God that set the Israelites free is able to set us free. In fact, here's, here's God's will for your life. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So you want to know God's will for your life? You want to know God's will for the next year? You want to know God's will for your next decade? Freedom. Freedom from everything that, that, that hinders, that destroys, that, that, that devalues, that discourages. God's will for your life is freedom. Here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the more connected you get to hear what God is saying, to believe his promises, to walk with him, he is going to lead you into freedom. And here's the cool thing is if you look back in this in this story, right, as God sets apart all these things and he says, nope, not the frogs, not the sun, not the river, not the blood. He goes through all of them. The last plague is the plague of the firstborn. Plague of the firstborn, what happened here is that, that God told the Israelites, go get a lamb and, 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 and slaughter it and then take the blood of the lamb and place it on the doorposts of your homes. And tonight when the last plague, the plague of the firstborns, when the angel of death comes through Egypt and kills every firstborn child in Egypt, when it sees the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of the Israelites, it will pass over you and you will be spared from death. 
That was the last plague that then set the Israelites free to move into the promised land as they were redeemed, as they were set free by the blood of the Lamb. What God was doing is foreshadowing something hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he would come to earth as Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, and he would be slaughtered. He would be crucified on a cross so that by believing in his freedom, in his forgiveness, and in his promise, that death would pass over us and we would experience eternal life in eternity and life to the full now. The Israelites were set free. We can go to chapter 12. We can see it. They walk across the Red Sea. It's a beautiful moment. They move into the promised land. And there is a promised land for you. Here's some of the ways that it's going to happen for you, though. Romans 12, 2, from the Passion Translation, says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. If you're thinking of God as a punisher who is against you, you have to change the way you think to begin to see him as a God of promise and of freedom and of love and of companionship. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. It's a tough journey. Here's some more good news is that we've got a savior that understands the struggle we're in. Talking about Jesus, the book of Hebrews in chapter four says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God was making a public spectacle of these gods through these plagues. And when Jesus hung on the cross, the word of God tells us that he was making a public spectacle of everything that tries to steal your freedom. So I don't know what it looks like for you in the next year. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you in that if you'll ask him. But it might look like doing things you've not done before. It might look like maybe in the next couple of days, maybe journaling, what are some things that are taking your freedom? To begin to get compassionately curious with yourself, what's taking my freedom? Write it down, look at it, pray about it, ask God to, to begin to reveal truth about that. It might look like beginning to speak to people you trust about these things and not just let it be your burden on yourself. It might look like in the next year, finally going to maybe a Christian counselor. I get the excruciating, terrible joy of doing that once a month. And about 30 minutes before I go into my counseling, I get all hot and sweaty and bothered. I'm like, cancel it, I want to cancel it, I want to cancel it. Because I don't really want to look at the junk in my heart, my mind, my soul that's stealing my freedom. I just want to stay in an ignorant bliss and just kind of deal. But it might be actually looking at those things. Because here's what I found in 42 years. Is that when I see God through a paradigm of promise and I step with him into the fear. I have found time and time again that his perfect love meets me there. And he actually heals that which is broken in me. And little by little, 
I'm starting to see my life transformed by the renewing of my mind. It could look like signing up for Rooted. It could look like joining an outpost. It could look like finally saying to Jesus, yes, I believe and I want to follow you. Just stand with me. Here's my guarantee. If in the next decade or the next year, you just keep doing everything you've been doing the past decade, the past year, you're going to get the same results out of your life. So if you're currently pleased beyond measure with your life, just keep doing what you're doing. If you're not, it might be a chance to get curious about your paradigm, about the promises that God wants to lead you into. He's not mad at you. He loves you so much. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel today. We thank you that we're, this isn't some new fad, but we can look back to generation upon generation upon generation upon generation of your faithfulness and your power. And God, there might be somebody here right now that's like, you know what? I, I don't want to move into the next year alone. I don't want to move in with, with the pain. I don't want to move anywhere without this God that that loves me, that would actually begin to walk me into a promised land, a place that, that I can begin to move away from pain, where I can begin to move away from sin, where I can begin to, 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 to see freedom unfolding in my life. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, just you and me, maybe there's somebody right now, you say, you know what, that, that's, it, this is my year, Darren. I, I, I don't want to just be inspired. I, I want to be changed. I want to be forgiven. I want Jesus in my life. Just between you and me, maybe on the count of three, you throw your hand up and say, that's me. I want to, I want to just pray with you right now. It's time for you to say, I, I want to follow Jesus. One, two, three. Just throw your hand up. Yeah, I see you right there. To the left, yep, I see you. Yep, anybody? I see you in the back. Amen. Yep, I see you. Yep, awesome. Put your hand down. Great. Father, for those that just raised their hand, I pray that you would overwhelm them with the sense of your love and your presence, that your Holy Spirit would be very real to them. And if you raise your hand, you might just say a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the last conversation you're going to have with God, but it's a great start. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to know that you made this commitment, give you some resources. You can fill out a commitment card, and drop it off on your way out by the welcome desk. Father, for the rest of us that have already made this decision, I pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our mind that we would begin to see you through the paradigm of promise and that we'd courageously walk with you in the future that you have created for us to live, a future of freedom and of love and of hope. You're the best. In Jesus' name, amen.